0: From um, Acts four, which is on page five. Scripture reading for today. Acts 4 Act, the book of Acts is kind of the church after Jesus. And so a bunch of things go down. The church is starting to get formed. A whole bunch of uh, really weird things happen in Acts. And uh, and uh, this is uh, one of the weird things, miraculous things that happens is the character of the community uh, of Jesus, the, the people who follow Jesus and how they act and what they do. This is Acts 4, 31 through 37. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Not one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles, whom the, <laughs> the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Good
1: morning. I'm Howard Brown, senior pastor here at Christ Central Church, and... Um, I'm going on vacation this week. And I won't miss y'all. No. Um, it's about time. That's all. I'm feeling good. Um, um, all right. I kind of have vacationitis, so y'all just have to give me a minute here just to remember I got something to do this morning. Um, we're going to continue our mercy series. And um, we're going to... As you can tell, look at the book of Acts, and we're gonna look at the church's call to show mercy to itself. The church's call, the community of faith's call to actually rid itself of poverty. That the practice of mercy begins at home, among God's people, in his church. Now, one historical commentary I read uh may have had it right when it said that um, the needs of the church community, the way they met them through mercy, went well into the second century. And for two centuries of people bringing their stuff and selling it and caring for the needs of people, that the church was ridiculed as being a crazy cult. That why would you give up your homes and your lands and your possessions to, to, to help poor people who may have not done right and squandered their stuff? For two centuries, it, they were ridiculed by the non-church will. And then the, 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 the commentary goes on to say that the non-church economic and social practices took over the church. That no longer does the church look like it did then. I cannot... Be the one, I don't think I can spouse here, to be the one or that we will be the church or even the church in this time in history who has the heart or the grace of God to counter the anti-Christ and Christian selfishness and, and capitalism that has engulfed the church. I'll say many of our churches in America, I have to apologize for. We've been hypocritical and contrary to the Lord we say we worship. And so I ask you to, to join in worshiping the, 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 that we've been contrary to the God who's called us to worship. Yet there is unfortunately no liberty to be in need. Only fear. There's no liberty to give lest people make you look like a fool or hoodwinked cult member. Let me say this then. With the regression of mercy in our churches, it will take more than me just ranting and raving to you about how you should good and should give and trust me I could really beat you guys up this morning pretty badly because we are all so very guilty of being greedy with our stuff and, and money and time but the mercy we see here in acts the mercy that is called for here is begotten by mercy That mercy gives great, gives birth to mercy. That the grace we need to counter modern church culture only comes when we get more grace. Now I could point you to what to do and even point out the severity of the poverty of our mercy towards each other, but that would only mimic how we sometimes make the poor feel. That if we're poor in giving, that if we're impoverished in mercy, to to just harp and and make you feel bad and guilty, again, make you feel like we often make poor people feel guilty and fearful and manipulated. But let me free you by saying this. Mercy, the mercy you and I need And need to give each other's lives comes by faith freely and powerfully as it is given to us in the gospel. As the Holy Spirit work of Jesus is actually living through us and in us and loving us. This book of Acts is about the acts of God through the apostles and the church. It is the continuing work of Jesus Christ on earth after his resurrection and ascension into heaven. This work of God and Jesus Christ for the world is executed and fueled and, and empowered by the third person of the Godhead. God, the Holy Spirit is What we see here, he's he's working miracles in the world. He's working miracles in people. He is planting his church in the earth. He's beginning this eternal institution. He's God is defining its charter and its vision and and blueprint for this organic Christian community as it shares and, and celebrates God's glory and grace and love and mercy to the world. And imagine this. God is not a failure in church planting. It is working. as We see in this text, not only because the numbers are growing, but because the numbers are growing. Growing, that is, into a powerhouse of change, individually and corporately. And in doing so, they, the church, forever transform society. While creating a community yet to be seen on earth before. A community that before they were God's people were not a community at all. They were not a family caring for each other, but they're more like orphans. They were impoverished in love, impoverished in integrity, impoverished to show mercy. That this community, the church, has in been called the children of God. They have a grace that begets mercy to one another as brothers and sisters. It's a richness of grace that God showers and shares with his people. We see that it's a grace that changes hearts. Look with me again at verse 31. After they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken. Shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and and spoke the word of God boldly. Then look look what happens here. As the believers were, were one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And then verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. Now right at the beginning of this passage that we've read and then in the middle passage on this mercy in the church is is what should be central in our care for each other. What is it? That God has showered his the richness of his grace on his people. That the, God's people are called to a life of mercy because God changes and has changed the hearts of his people. Now, what we have illustrated before us is a social revolution and redemption that begins with the changing of hearts as the message of the gospel is showered on his people by a benevolent heavenly father. It says the apostles continued to preach and testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ with much power and therefore grace was upon them. That in claiming to be a believer, one is declaring. That God has changed my heart through the gospel message. That in being a believer, what you're saying is that this message, that, that this living Jesus has rescued you from the condemnation and death of your sin. That therefore you do whatever you do. That you show mercy to each other and desire to show mercy because of Jesus. Because of Jesus' presence and power at work in your heart as you've heard the gospel. That the message that God has loved and called sinners like you and me as his own, that that message somewhere has exploded in your heart that is broken your heart and is rebuilding your soul it's 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 the message of grace and its power is remaking the seat and source of your emotions and affections and thoughts that all that you think and do is is simply an echo it's a it's a seismic reaction to this heart quaking truth that god has loved sinners through jesus christ that a holy God has called you and loving you and agreed and promised to love you for all eternity. That, that, that when you see before, what you see before you in Acts and should see in the life of the church, let me get, the, get this up. It's not a good idea being adopted or, re, or, or, or marked up or visioned by the smart or competent. No, this is not what's going on in Acts. The grace of the Holy Spirit is calling orphans and and morally poor and and the disgraceful loners and the empty to being adopted and rescued and, and captured within by the truth of the gospel and the work of God's grace. Not only that, but his people's hearts are growing and changing and challenged to be more merciful because hearts are being changed by Jesus. And I want to make this clear that this gospel message has not changed. That what the apostles are preaching and teaching continues to be about a resurrected Lord who comes to be a friend and savior and Lord of sinners. So that if you are a believer, if you claim to be a Christian, the thing that's going to lead you to do more mercy among each other is not, okay, I'm a Christian now. Pastor, give me the steps. Well, the steps is the step is to hear this gospel message again. Let it be given to you through the means of grace, through the Lord's Supper, through through the various sacraments, as you hang around with each other in the fellowship of the saints in that. Hearts are changing. Your heart is being challenged and brought closer to the mercy that God has shown you and calls you to show one another. But this grace is not only about an eternal, internal rather change, a heart change, but it creates a life change. Look again with me at verse 32. It says all believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. This heart change of the gospel led to a life change. What you see here is they live their lives in respect of each other. Almost as if they were united in mind and life and purpose with each other. And that's because they were brought into one heart by Jesus. That his powerful work through the Holy Spirit has somehow knit them together. That their lives are synchronized. That they're in respect with one another because they are synchronized with heart, in heart with Jesus according to what the gospel says. That people are believing the same things. That we are desperate sinners. who have been rescued by a mighty and holy God and that synchronized, that we all believe the same things. It begins to knit our hearts together and now we have a one mind, a one purpose and one family. It's almost like a cellular existence. You know, not cell groups. That's a good idea too, but a cellular existence that, that like cell phones, That we, if we have the same provider, then we have the same time on our little phones. That if we have the same provider, if we're in network, then we're freed to have relationship with one another. That our provider, Jesus, has paid a price so that we can freely love one another. That we live in unity with one another because you're synchronized because we have the same provider, not Verizon, not AT&T, but Jesus. What that means is when you look at your your life as a clock, as, as being in sync with something, now your time is not your time, it's the time. That belongs to us. It is his and we are his. And, and so now my time is your time and my life is purpose and provided by Jesus. So now my life is changed for you. My life is now different. Their lives have been changed. That's what's going on here. Altered invigorated redesigned if you will by jesus that when jesus changes your heart by grace grace is the way we live our lives that there's no disconnect between the two the the theologian jonathan Edwards said that, that 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 um below each action is a heart desire that our actions are relegated and our lives are changed because our hearts are changed. There's no disconnect that what you do is truly where your heart is. I say this so that we can look to hope in this for all of us. If our lives are not filled with mercy and care for one another, if we are not merciful, If we live lives with walls around our homes and our schedules and our finances are held against each other in the committee of faith, then it is not that you need a lifestyle change. That comes after you get a taste and effectual eating of God's grace. That your life is tight against others and resistant in being synchronized to helping and being helped. No, let me. Tell you, it's not your palm pilot. It's not because there ain't enough room between five and nine. It's not because you have not yet gone to the financial planning class to get wise advice. This thing mercy to each other is an organic and living operation of jesus christ in the life of his people what you need to make those things your schedule and pop pilot and phones and and planning and finances those things be godly and gracious is more of the gospel more reflection on what is true That you've been loved by God as a sinner, undeserving. Here's the good news. What we see here is that God is and does shower his grace on his people through his Holy Spirit. Don't you know that is what this church thing is about? It's not about the church doing mercy, therefore trying to be the church. You know what the church is? The church is about God doing mercy in a community of people. Mercy is and begins and church is about this, that God is making and giving life, That, that coming here is not you ministering to each other first, like trying to Follow the rules in the corporate manual to, to try to make it so. Now, that's a pretty good corporate manual, don't get me wrong. I think it has some good things we need to look at. But understand that when you are here, church is not about you necessarily first serving one another. That's not what this text says, but about God serving you over and over Again, the gospel that sinners are called to be loved and changed and part of God's eternal family. And God is saying, come here, sinners, like, like the song, come, you needy, come those who need to show mercy because you need me to give it to you. And this is what church does, that God is showering his people with his words. But God is showering his grace in the lives of his people through powerful means like the sacrament. That he is showering his people as we fellowship with one another and hang out and share our lives and pray for one another. This is not your work. This is God's work. And so we seek him that it would be done. We see that God does something else powerful in the life of his church. God shares the richness of his grace with his people. And he does so by providing our gifts, our excess, our giving, our finances, our stuff. Look with me at verse 32 again. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And it says here, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection Of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. What's going on? Obvious, they did not claim any possessions as their own, but they shared it with the church and in doing so, knowing to do so to bring it to the apostles, that the apostles were called to share it with those who were in need. Now let me explain you the difference between this and communism. It is not that what they had actually, that what they had actually belonged to everyone or to the church government. It was given as their belongings to the church for the people. Now, what does not their own stuff mean? Counting it as not their own. It means their resources, their stuff was deemed and seen by them in their giving, obviously, as belonging not to them, but to God. And thus given to what God desired for them and it. Now, remember, this is still about the work of God through his people and not about a good magazine-worthy money decision. What they are saying in conjunction with this old testament concept of of god blessing abraham and his people and his descendants with the land a land that would never be lost all the wealth and and that they had or or built belonged to god as a blessing of his grace to them so in abraham when god said abraham i want to have a relationship with you and i am going to bless you my grace is going to give you a land and you will be blessed with a land and a people a land flowing with milk and honey with with prosperity so what we see happening here is a return well better yet it's a fulfillment of the promise that the land would be for his people a blessing from god for and to his people so that families now remember family's different now it's not just your immediate family you're now in the family of god so get this just like the land concept in old testament That families would continue to praise God. That they would at very least be able to look at the inheritance and wealth of the land from their family and not say thanks dad or thanks mom or thank uncle or thank brother or thanks sister. But thanks be to God who has given it. It was revolutionary what was happening here. They began to actually believe that possessions came from heaven. And in giving them, they pointed that God had given it and God is going to use it to care for me and my family. And guess what? If you're a believer, like I'm a believer and we have the same Jesus and we're we're in the fellowship, what it says is not only has he given it to me, but brother, according to the blessings of God, we see from beginning to end, it's given for your sake too. I call my dad sometimes and I'm like, hey. I, my mama pick up and I want to talk to daddy. Tell him we did. yet. he can't have the house yet. You know, it's, it's it's one of these things where we go home to our house. I don't know why all the years growing up. I didn't look at stuff like that. Right. I go home now. I'm like, y'all need that. You know, and my, my dad has this real nice Jonathan Green, um, you know, Signed, print, whatever, okay? And we look at that thing, and Terrence, Joel, and I will be like, I'm getting that, brother. <laughs> Daddy, remember me in the will. You know? And anytime he roll, gets up a new piece of art, I get happy! Because I think, yes, God has blessed us! <laughs> and when we leave home, my dad's like, Quietus? That's my, my mom saying, look, Quietus. Quietus? Check the car. Check the trunk. I know they stole something. <laughs> check it. Check it. And so what God would do is when he blessed them, they said, this isn't my stuff. This is God's and therefore belongs to God's people. And as they laid it before the apostles, peace feet they were giving the land to whom it ultimately belonged it was god and the apostles represented god the church and so here's the revolutionary thought that they had their stuff that belonged to god and they gave it to god's people through the church they handed it to the apostles and the apostles knew the needs of the people and they gave it to those who had need and what we see before us is an example of what happens when god is working their hearts of their people That people see their stuff as not theirs, but disposable, liquidable assets and resources for the kingdom of God and for the needs of God's people. That you look at your stuff. Have you thought about looking at your car, looking at your house? That's God's. What should I do with it? That's God's. What would he have me to do with it? It's revolutionary thinking. Consider you worked very hard or you worked the system real hard or you didn't tell the full truth. All. Whatever, whatever. But you, you worked hard some way to get the things you have. And half of what you got, especially at the age of most of you, was passed down anyway. And so you, it's, we need to... It's like God has to do a miracle work for people who in American system who've been learned, taught, you know, Work hard and you get that your stuff is a product of hard work. And yes, that's true. But there's something that supersedes that when you become a believer, you're supposed to kind of lose your mind. You you kind of get crazy. and You look at your stuff and the stuff that you've worked hard. I mean, I know some of you have saved money to get that piece of furniture or get that car. You put it in the shop. You've worked hard. You're making sure that thing gets to 200,000 miles. You have worked so hard and you have to look at it and say, it's yours. For them, for us. What does this teach us? That the sharing of stuff is the result of believing God has blessed you. Further than that, sharing your stuff is believing that God cares for you and loves you. You know what really, I think the one thing that makes me very upset, my boys, is if I say, Harrison, share that sandwich with Clark. No, I don't want to share. Ooh, I don't know why that makes me so angry. Just look at him, and he's got this big sandwich. that Clark, no, what do he eat? eat. And th- no, I'm not sharing it. And and I don't want to tear it out of his hands. I want him to share it. Give your brother some. No. Or when they snatch a toy. Oh gosh, it just it bugs me. And I realize it bugs me because it hurts me personally. Because it means that my son does not feel loved or protected or secure or blessed enough by me that he believes that we have not shared or cared for him enough. So he has to hoard his stuff against his own brother. Okay, yeah, he's sinful, he's done wrong, but something in me says, what have I taught or given or not shared or not shown my son that makes him think his parents do not care for him or share for him enough where he can be free to give it to his brother who's hungry? Selfishness says, God, you've left me to fend and earn for myself. To be merciful and give grace to my own life. You have not provided enough. You have not provided me security. You have truly not been a benevolent and loving father. I have to fend for myself. So I even fend against my brothers and sisters in Christ. But the message of God's grace, get this, is this. This That's so crazy. God has been generous and good to sinners. That's the gospel. Have we not heard that? God is like, have you not heard that? Let me take it one step further. Have you not seen that in, in Jesus's sacrifice on the cross? Do you not know it? Have you not remembered that his body was broken and his blood was shed? Here's a sadness to us holding our stuff and our time and our home against others. We really don't believe God is or has been loving and merciful enough to us. I think about the way we run security on our lives. Christians are like a bank, aren't they? Aren't we? Our savings, off limits to what is perceived as frivolous giving to another, and what's funny is many of us have learned money and time protection from churches, from pastors who said after five, shut down. You deserve it. You need to rest. That, that somehow we've learned that, 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 that we're protecting our money for our kids and for vacation. Who taught you that? I hope I didn't because it's wrong. Our savings are awful. And many of us have, you know, here's, here's what happens. Christians. Why can't you reach them after five or six o'clock? Why do you always get the answering machine? Why do they call you when it's nine o'clock the next morning? What kind of Christianity is that? Hello, you've reached the voicemail of. Next morning, see you all, oh, brother. It's family time. And yeah, it's true, it's family time, I get it. But why is it that we're constantly like the bank? It. Them buildings downtown, that's... That's the way we've been taught to live our lives? Is Bank of America and Wachovia our new church? That after six you shut down to your brothers and sisters in the name of some kind of pseudo-family moral value? How can we say that? What does the message of God's church say and minister to you that God cares for you? Jesus' work and message says loud and clear, God has shared his son and the benefits of him with you and it doesn't close at 6 o'clock. It says here in the scriptures that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with them graciously give us all things that how you handle and view all things is directly associated with whether you believe or have truly been embraced by this God who has shared his son out for you. He is the father, that he is God, that he has given you all things, that they are not your own as much as you are no longer your own. Now, here's a community connection. What you believe about yourself comes out in how you give for the poverty of those in the community of faith. That if you believe you are not your own, you've been bought with a price, that the gospel says that to you and that therefore you have not provided your own stuff, that God, the one you belong to and has cared for you, then the organic progression is this. You will believe that your brothers and sisters, they are not their own. That God, too, wants to bless them with his stuff. That as they belong to God, they belong to you. That as your stuff belongs to God, then it's disposable to God for them. And in doing so, we take confidence in the fact that in, in sharing his grace, God has provided for our deficiency. I you look one more time at verse 34. It says there, was no, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now, we're not going to do the Barnabas part, even though it's in your text. Part of me thinks it kind of goes with the Ananias' fire story, which is in verse chapter 5, verse 1, so we're not going to go there. But what we see here is they gave as people in the church had need. Now, I want you to see this. There is something else being presented at the feet of the apostles that is silent here. It's the needs and request. That there is some knowledge of who needs help, which means not only are people giving freely, but people are asking and requesting and showing needs freely. Like, help. Me. I can't give you anything. I can't handle no 18% interest. Give me something that that, that people are the people are receiving and 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 asking freely, and after receiving that there is an obvious change and help that they were seen and known that was seen known by others. That one day you were getting kicked out your house and your furniture was on the sidewalk, and the next day you were in the house and smiling and happy and cooking, and and, and people see that they can see hey, I re- that person they needed help yesterday well today they hang in straw God is ridding the church of poverty as part of his care and shared grace to his people that in the church by the grace of God God provides for our deficiencies and needs understand here that the needs being brought forth and dealt with by the apostles please, please hear this is no less the work of God's grace than the giving of stuff. But in the receiving and having needs and asking for help and having needs met by the money, God is sharing his grace for all people. That this thing was distributed, as verse 35 says, as individuals had need. Now get this, the very flow and organic operation of this church ministry thing depended and depends on people showing and saying they have need. That God's economy of mercy requires not only supply, but demand. A demand that in its request is God has and and will provide for me because he is merciful and gracious. And I believe what the Bible says about him and about his church. And so I'm going to go and say, have mercy on me, God, as you're as you're seen in the earth to your church. I'm going to ask for help, not because you look so good or or you got it together or y'all got a big church. or I see them cars in a pocket lot. No, I'm going to ask for help because I believe my God provides. The giving is not the hardest part for most of us here. I'm going to tell you, I know that. It is the asking and receiving, isn't it? It's the humility of asking and saying, I need help. Because remember, in asking and being in need, something miraculous has to happen. What has to happen? Shame and fear must be overcome with the freedom to say, I am in need. My life has deficiencies. My finances are out of whack. My family didn't handle things well. I'm in a cycle of poverty. I didn't do everything right. If you look at my track record, if you track my credit report, if you pull my, my, my references, they won't all check out. They're not going to be very great. I need help. But I know this. I ask for help. Well, because the grace of God tells my heart, regardless of my past, regardless of how much I've screwed up, my God is gracious and merciful and God's people will see my life and see my need and see my need being a part of their family and testify with me in their giving that God is merciful and loving and gracious. To do this or be here to ask, it's no small thing. You truly must believe in the work of God, Jesus Christ, through his church and people. He's coming. He gives mercy to them. And so what is it? It's back to the gospel that the disciples preached, that the beginning of providing for our needs is freeing us by his grace, grace to ask. That part of the maturity and power of mercy is knowing and believing this. God, not, not the one I saw in that church way back, them really tight and mean Christians that made it hard when you asked for something. Well, uh, how many drugs you did today? You know, I mean, it was, it was an appropriate question, but the, the kind of meanness in the eyes that have no mercy. That, that you don't know, reject you. They didn't want to get you no help if you're on drugs. They didn't want to they didn't want to say no because you ain't as good as we are. You know, um it just that kind of meanness. Now, that's Something like I'm talking about. I want you to, for a minute, if you've had a bad experience with Christendom or some church, I want you to take that down and see exactly what the scripture says here. That the gospel in believing this says that God is a friend of sinners and he's a father of the distressed and poor and needy, and that he has sent Jesus to redeem and love and relieve and be nice and gracious and merciful to the world. That you believe that. But that takes the gospel to believe such a thing. That somehow your dignity is secured and even confirmed not because you stand on your own teeth, two feet or you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps but that you couldn't stand on your own two feet and you don't even have money to buy bootstraps. That God wants and must bless you and love you if you're going to make it in real time and real space. Not so that you can just have, but so that you, here's the end. Why does he give? So that you will be sure to have him and be assured that he has you. You and asking are used by God. Don't you know the ones who ask? You're used by God mightily. Not only to generate gifts of grace, but when you are in need and you ask, hearts of grace are born and challenge of people who have forgotten. They're trying to send people. This this is why it's so important that people bring their needs. Because those of us who are competent and have a nice bank account and savings and things are straight and no debt and no problems and we know how to handle our money very well. This is what happens. We forget what the Bible says about us. And when we see somebody in need, we're reminded, what? I am nothing. I'm, I'm a squandered sinner. I'm undeserving. I've, I've squandered this life. I'm sinful. I've taken what God has given me and I've used it for wrong things. And when they see a brother and sister say, I need help, they see themselves all over again saying, God, I need your mercy. And I need your grace. The advantages of neediness is like getting a kind of a, a hug from God's blanket of security, kind of a naked hug. You know, you feel God right close to you. Man, when you've been in need and you need help and you're poor or you're struggling, maybe not with money, but with loneliness, you can't find no childcare, can't get no ride. Can't no one to call you on the phone. The phone don't ring between five and 10 o'clock at night. You go bed at night wondering if anybody on the earth believes or knows you exist. There's nothing like having God hug you. It's a, it's a nakedness. The only thing you feel next door to you, next to your skin is his love and his care for you. We all need mercy. And as a church, we are compelled by the gospel to see our deficiencies. I'm not talking about money, just about money, because some of you are rich and lonely. Others are poor and angry. Some of us are trapped in perpetrating like we have when we are truly indebted to the world for a lifestyle and worth we borrowed on. Mercy among us says. Break before God. Be broke. Yeah, be broke before God in the presence and fellowship of his people. Because his ministry of grace and person of Jesus says God showers and shares a grace whether giving or receiving. That God is powerfully and graciously merciful to those who have been stingy and ineffective or quiet and suffering. That in the work of Jesus in his church, he is actually opening hearts and checkbooks and lives and needs and mouths. And he links them to Jesus and then to each other for in mercy, in his doing it in us and to us and through us. What happens? We get him. We get Jesus among us. And we live like he's truly got us. It's the gospel happening because mercy is is creating mercy. And mercy is illustrating the gospel in fullness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. You're merciful. Your gospel says so. Help us to believe it. Make us broke before you. Let us bring nothing and have nothing. Let us look to Jesus to supply for our stinginess. Help Jesus to open up our phone lines at the five o'clock in our lives. Help Jesus to help, help us and let Jesus stretch us. Help us to believe you're a God. I'm merciful and loving God to sinners. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.